I've entitled this tonight, Loving the World While Not Loving the World. Loving the World While Not Loving the World. We're going to begin in John 3, verse 16, familiar verse. Everybody knows it. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the most well-known verse in all of history. More people know John 3, 16 than probably anything else. And it's the gospel in a nutshell, you might say if you understand the parts, what the parts are about. But in John 3.16, again, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. Now, in 1 John chapter 2, in 1 John 2, though, it says this, Love not the world, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, some people would look at that and they say, this is just nonsense. This is double talk. This is contradiction. Why is God contradicting himself with what he has in the Bible? I can't believe the Bible. It's here. It's another example of contradiction. Well, no, there's no contradiction whatsoever if you understand it from God's perspective. For God so loved the world, John 3.16, yes, and he provided Jesus Christ as a payment for sin. But then in 1 John 2.15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What do we do with this? Now, somebody may say, well, I know what the answer is. I bet in the Greek, the word world is two different Greek words, and that would solve the problem. Well, It would, but that's not the way it is. The fact is, it is the same Greek word. So now we've got a dilemma on our hand. One place it says God loves the world, and another place we're told not to love the world. So what do you do with that? Well, again, the word world is the same in both cases. Yet in John 3.16, it is clear from reading it that it is talking about the people of the world. The people of the world. Now, this includes everyone, and the message that the Bible gives us is very clear. God loves everyone. God loves the world. Don't listen to any theological nonsense today that says, well, there's different ways God loves the world. That's what the Calvinists are trying to say now. Well, God loves the world in a general sense, but he doesn't love them like you're saying he loves them. My word to you is this, just be quiet You don't know what you're talking about, okay? You are creating theology out of thin air. The Bible means what it says, and it says what it means, okay? This includes everyone. Those who are caught up in false religions, God loves them. Those who are entrapped in perverted lifestyles, God loves them. Those who are confused about whether they're a boy or a girl, God loves them. I can't believe in the days in which we live. I remember when I was a teenager, there was a song, Are You a Boy or Are You a Girl? People are asking it today. You know what? God loves those people as well. Those who are atheists, God loves them. Those who are agnostics, God loves them. Those who are verbally on an attack against Christianity, God loves them. God loves them, and he wants us to love them also. 
All right, I appreciate the prayer tonight about praying for our president. I disagree with our president, I think, on everything he's ever said to this point. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love him. And that doesn't mean I shouldn't love him. And I'll tell you what, folks, the first thing I would want to do if I met President Biden would be share the gospel with him. Because if he believes what he says he believes, he will never see heaven because of his faith is in the wrong place. It needs to be in Jesus Christ alone in the payment he made for his sin and also for my sin. So then what does 1 John 2, 15 mean? Well, it is referring, if you look at the context, it is referring to the world system. The world system, which is headed up, according to the Bible, by Satan himself. Okay? It's the world system. We are not to love the world system, that which is driven by Satan that is anti-Christian. The ways of the world, things that are evil, things that are sinful, things that are destructive. God says, no, we as believers, see, when we trusted Christ as Savior, we were saved out of that. We are not to love that system we were saved out of, the sinful part of it. But you know what, folks? We are to love those who are still entrapped and who are lost. There's no contradiction. The two make perfect sense. The great theologian Harry Ironside said this. He says, but what then is the world? It is that system that man has built up in this scene in which he is trying to make himself happy without God. Wow. The world system. He's built up this system in which he is trying to make himself happy without God. And you know as well as I do, it's not working very well. You're in 1 John chapter 2. Go with me over to chapter 5 and verse 19. 1 John 5 verse 19. It says this, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now that's an interesting word, the word wickedness there. It is a masculine singular word. It's referring to an individual. And of course, wicked, the wicked one is what it's saying. And he's, he's referred to in a male gender. Okay. Well, that's the devil. That's Satan. We know that we are of God and the whole world though, the world system lieth in wickedness, the wicked one. Back to 1 John 2.15, it says, We are commanded to love not the world, neither the things, things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love for the things of this world, what is John saying? Loving the things of this world cannot coexist with loving Christ at the same time. It doesn't mean you're not saved. Christians lose the church at Ephesus, right? Revelation 2. They left. They left their first love. Didn't mean they're not saved. They were saved. They were saints, the Bible says. But they left the Lord. They weren't in love with him anymore. Love for the things of this world cannot coexist with love for Christ. We cannot have two masters. If a man loves the world at that time of experience... He's in love with the world system, the worldliness. If that's where his heart is, then he's not loving the Lord at the same time. He may be saved, but he's not loving the Lord at the same time. The love of the Father is not in him. Again, doesn't say he's not saved. It says the love of the Father. It's very important you don't read in the Scripture. 
Take it for what it says. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 is expanded and explained in the following verse of this passage. 1 John 2, 16. For, remember, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, or because, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, where does this refer back to? This refers all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, and when the woman, remember, she was tempted of who? The devil, Satan, the wicked one. And it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The first perfect example of the lack of male leadership, and we've been paying for it ever since. He should have knocked it out of her hand and said, no, honey, you're not going to eat that. God told us no, but he just stood by and he let it happen. Not a good situation. See, folks, here's the truth of it. The lust of the flesh, good for food. These are the cravings and the desires of the old nature, the lust of the flesh. These three issues can cross over to one another as well, all right? I think of the lust of the flesh, the drive that some people have, uh, such as in the area of sexual immorality. They're driven. They have a perverted lifestyle. It's the lust of the flesh. They're driven by that. They're driven by that which is evil, things that they see. Again, the lust of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes. Uh, Materialism also would be the lust of the eyes. I want that. I want this thing. I want that thing. We crave what our eyes see. This could be things. It could also include people. Immorality, lust in that regard. Pornography would be the lust of the eyes, but it would also be the lust of the flesh. And then the last one, pride of life. Pride is elevating yourself to the place where only God should be. That's what pride is. Elevating yourself to the place where only God should be. It is seeing yourself as sufficient without God. That is what, that's at the root of pride. I am sufficient without God. Whenever we get to where we are walking in the flesh, we think we are sufficient without God. We are walking according to our pride. And folks, all of us have it. You might say, well, I'm glad I'm saved now. Yeah, and you guess what? You still have it, even though you're saved, because you still have an old nature, a sin nature, that is still rebellious. And the only way we can have victory over that as walking in the Spirit as believers. The world system is designed to draw people into sin and destruction. This is true for the unbeliever, and it's also true for the believer. Let me tell you something, folks. The devil has lost people exactly where he wants them. Lost. They don't know Christ. They think by being religious, they're going to go to heaven, but you can't go to heaven by being religious because we're not saved by good works. You have to be perfect, and none of us are perfect. That throws our good works right out the window because if you're not perfect, if we're already sinners, and we are, then no amount of good works are going to fix it. We're already flawed. We're marred, okay? It's, it's like a, a cup that gets dropped, 
People say, well, you can use super glue, though, and glue it back together. You know that doesn't work. It may work for a while, but sooner or later, it's going to spring a leak again or break off or chip or... Listen, if it's cracked, it's cracked. It's flawed. Guess what? We're cracked. We're flawed. We're sinners. And we need a Savior. We don't need... Listen, Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll be fixed. No, he said... If you believe in me, you'll be born again. He gives a new birth. He doesn't even try to fix the old one. He gives us a new one. Why? Because the old one can't be fixed. The best thing is one day when we die or get raptured, we'll leave it behind. And all we'll have is the new one. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds good to me. The world system designed to draw people into sin and destruction. So how does a believer... Love, getting back to our point tonight, how does a believer love the world and yet not love the world system? How does a believer love the world and yet not love the world system? We are to be dedicated to our mission in the world, but not to be of the world. Let me just put it down in a very simple term tonight. The key is the message and ministry of the gospel. That's the key. The message and ministry of the gospel. Now, I want you to listen very closely tonight, okay? If you've been a Christian for any period of time and you are a person who you like to, you like to observe other people, I'm not talking about judge them, I'm talking about just observe humanity, observe what happens to people. You know, I've been in the ministry for almost my entire Christian life, even before pastoring the church here. And we've seen a lot of people get saved, and we've seen a lot of people start out, and we've seen a lot of people fall away. Now, there are those who stay on track and run the race successfully and praise God for every believer who does that. There's a lot of believers, though, who don't. What happened? Do you know a lot of those people started out right? A lot of those people got saved, and they got a... Immediately, they had the burden for the loss that says, this is such good news. Man, I want everybody to know it. I want to reach my family. I want to reach my friends. I want to reach my coworkers. I want to reach my fellow students in school. And so they start out, and they're very excited at the beginning. But then what happens over time is they start cooling off a little bit, and then they start losing their passion for the gospel, losing their passion for the gospel. And here's what happens. When you lose your passion for the gospel... It's no longer you trying to win them. All of a sudden, the tables are turned, and they are starting to win you. That's what happens. Folks, the world is seductive, even for believers. There's not a Christian in this room tonight who doesn't know the truth of that. There are temptations. Listen, every advertisement you see is meant to get you to manipulate you into purchasing that product or committing to that thing, whatever it is. The key to loving the world and yet not loving the world system, the key is the message and the ministry of the gospel. Let me give you some, some reasons why. Number one is this. It provides our focus and goal. It provides our focus and goal. Now, I know there are some Christians who say, what about Christ? Isn't he supposed to be? Listen, who makes up the gospel? It's Jesus. 
Jesus himself said, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels. My sake and the gospels. The two go hand in hand. Without Jesus, there is no good news. There is no gospel. But the message and ministry of the gospel, if we keep this front and center, it provides our focus and goal. We are to see past the sin of the world and the people in the world, and we all know people in the world. We are to see past the sin for the sake of reaching the sinner. We are to be on the offensive as Christians without being offensive. Do you see the difference? We are to be serious about reaching others for Christ. As long as we are serious and we stay serious, do you know what, folks? We won't love the world system. We'll love the world. But that is key. We will put up with their lostness so they can be saved. When we started our church here in St. Cloud, this one man, I don't even have it in my notes, but it made such an impression on me And it was so repulsive to me, I've never forgotten it. I've been marked by it in my memory. And this man, he absolutely, he was born again, saved man. I think he wanted to live a good life. I have never seen a person more repulsed by smoking in my entire life than this guy. Now listen, if you smoke, it's not good that you smoke, okay? Your your money is literally going up in smoke. You're wasting your money, you're ruining your health, you're destroying your life. It's not a good testimony. I mean, there's just not one good thing about it. And you might say, well, please don't talk about that. Can I tell you this? There's hope for you. You ought to come out on Friday nights to our addictions program. Don't be ashamed to come. No one's going to shame you there. They're there to help you, to to help you break free from that addiction. But getting back to it, here's this man, all right? Nice man, Christian man, and all that. I'll tell you what, you you, you would think that if he got around, if he got a whiff of smoke in his face, you would think you had the man on a rack and you were torturing him. It was awful the way he would respond. He was just, he would so manifest disgust and disdain. It's like, okay. Let's see you win that person to Christ that you just humiliated or embarrassed or insulted. Folks, listen. If we are seeing the world like God sees the world, the world system is not going to win us. But we have to keep things first and foremost. I've shared with you before, during that same period, there was a man in our church and he says, I have somebody I want to talk to you about. And he said, but I'm warning you now. We're going to go out for coffee, but I'm warning you now. He has the filthiest mouth you've ever heard. And of course, the guy knew I was a pastor. We had coffee and the guy was just letting it fly. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I used, I used to curse. I'm not proud of it. I, I, I know it's like, but I mean, this guy, it's like he, he majored in it. He had a degree or something. Filthy, filthy. And he's watching me and all these expletives are coming out of his mouth, okay? And I'm thinking, poor guy, poor guy. If that's as big as your vocabulary is, this is a pathetic situation we're looking at. Now, I didn't tell him that, but that's the way I felt. But you know what I did though? I looked at him and I just ignored it. And as I could, I got into the gospel and I explained the gospel clearly as best I could. 
He didn't trust Christ the Savior that day. But I'll tell you what, I did what God wanted me to do. I didn't leave there thinking, hey, I picked up some new words that I didn't know before. Okay. It provides our focus and goal. Look with me, a couple scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, the question, how does a believer love the world and yet not love the world? System. It's by keeping the gospel center stage. Folks, if I have a burden for somebody's salvation, I can put up with an awful lot. If I don't care about them, I won't put up with much of anything. That's the truth of it. Listen, there is nobody in the universe that has more disdain for sin than God does. Imagine how Jesus knows it. He died to pay for it. He became a curse for us. He became sin for us, the one who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me show you something else. Look with me to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Is one of the most powerful, passionate passages in all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul meeting with the Ephesian elders who came down to see him, and he's talking to them, and he said, look, the Lord's already told me what's ahead for me is trouble. There's trouble up ahead. There's persecution awaiting me. I know it's coming. But look what he says in verse Acts 20, 24. He says, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I'll put up with it. I'm going to get beaten. I know that. I'm going to get run out of town. Okay, I know that. I'm going to be whipped. I know that. I'm going to have to put up with all kinds of stuff. I know that. But the salvation of souls is more important than any of it. That's where he's at. But here's what happens, folks. When we leave the gospel, we leave the reason in a practical sense that God has us here. There's no greater act of meeting a need than to share the gospel with the lost. Wouldn't you agree with that? What could be more important than that? Regardless of how a person is, they have no greater need than the gospel. I don't care what the sin is they're involved in. They have no greater need than the gospel. Pastor, do you believe mass murderers? Do you believe serial killers? Do you believe that they could actually, that God would actually save them in jail right before they died? Do you believe that God could actually do that? Absolutely I do. We have a case of that in Scripture, the thief on the cross. We just recently covered that, right? He was a thief. He was a crook. He was a criminal. doesn't matter what the sin is. It's a sin. Sin is a sin. And Jesus said, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, you'll be with me today in paradise. Forgave him. Oh, I don't know about those deathbed conversions. Well, God does, and he approves of them. He's the one who does it. He does it. People get saved on their deathbed, right, Steve? It was your mother, wasn't it? Your mother and your grandmother. Deathbed conversions. Oh, I believe in them. What's the difference between a deathbed conversion and a conversion tonight? Nothing. God loves everybody, wants everybody to be saved. But folks, this is where it's at. 2 Corinthians 4.3, Paul says, If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. 
in whom the God of this world, little g, Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If a person is lost, they're under condemnation. If they die lost, they will immediately be consumed in hellfire. And that will never stop, ever. The only way you can be saved is by putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as the one who paid for your sins on the cross and rose from the grave. So listen, the key is the message and ministry of the gospel. Number one, it provides our focus and goal. Number two, this is very important, it provides protection from the temptation. Did you know that? The world is seductive. There's no doubt about that. The world is seductive. What keeps us from getting seduced by the world? It's keeping salvation first and foremost in our minds and in our view. Let me show this to you. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. As you're turning there, I'm just going to try something here. Okay, that'll work. I want you to imagine my Bible is a cross. All right? The cross representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's say that sign is the world. Here I am, that's the world. Galatians 6 in verse 14, it says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul kept going. Paul was faithful to the end. Do you know why, folks? When he looked at the world, that sign representing the world, what he had between him and the world, what he saw when he looked at the world, he saw the cross. He looked at the world through the eyes of the cross. And everybody he saw and the situations he saw in life, there it was. There it was. The cross. Everybody he met, He saw them through the cross, through the gospel. This is what kept them going. And this is what shielded him, his passion. Now listen, I know people do go off track, okay? But this is what the Bible teaches. Jesus said in John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If we follow him, we won't walk in darkness. If we follow him, remember Matthew four nineteen, he said, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. There's a protective mechanism built into the cross for you and me to keep us from getting seduced by the world. This is what happens to kids many times in in the public school. They get saved. They start trying to reach other kids for Christ. Okay, that's their mission field. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. And they're going to get persecuted. That's guaranteed. It's going to come. But if they remain faithful, they'll be shielded. The gospel is their shield. And they see, they keep getting reminded, they see everything through the cross and they see their friends as people who need salvation. But you know what? The minute you let that down and this becomes secondary or we start taking it for granted, guess what? There we are face to face and the seduction of the world starts sucking us in, pulling us in. And we're no longer winning them, they are winning us. 
And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Last point is this. A believer who quits sharing the gospel or won't share the gospel is opening themselves up to becoming worldly and carnal, which is what I just said. In fact, they are already being controlled by the world because they care more about what others think of them than what the Lord thinks of them. Now listen, there are times when every, there, every person is intimidated or fails to witness. Everybody at one time or another fails to witness, right? Why is it? It's because we think more of what others think of us than we do about the need of the person in front of us. Folks, listen, I know this can make us uncomfortable, but is it not true in light of Scripture? Is it not true? It is true. It is true. Paul said in Colossians, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. When a person trusts Christ the Savior, they are saved out of the world system. The Lord wants us to think differently, and as a result, he wants us to live differently. But the way we succeed is by keeping his focus as our focus. We're to love the world, and yet at the same time not love the world. Now listen, tonight, if you happen to be here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, hopefully I've explained it somewhat, but look up here. This hand representing you and me, and my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. This is us. We're sinners. All of us are. We all have sin, including me. Yet God loves us, for God so loved the world. He hates our sin. He hates our sin. But he loves us. He loves everyone. To get to heaven, we have to be without sin. None of us are. Now, God says if we die in this condition, we'll be lost forever and we'll suffer in hell for all eternity. God says, I don't want that for you. Yet religion says, okay, I know what to do. I'll be good. I'll try to behave myself. But you'll never be perfect. You have to be perfect. That's why your good works won't save you. That's why it says what it does. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So then what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do in ourselves. And that's why God sent someone to the rescue. He himself, God the Son, took on flesh, the sinless Son of God. And when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he made the payment for our sin. He died, was buried, he came back from the dead to prove it was done. He tells us in his word, whosoever believeth in him, you put your faith in him that he did it for you. That's all he's asking you to do. Believe he did it for you. Put your faith in him that he did it for you. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Trust Christ as your Savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.